0: From the WGLT Newsroom, good morning. I'm Jack Palasnik. Illinois State Police continue to investigate a fatal weekend shooting involving a police officer near Lexington. State police responded to a call of shots fired Saturday afternoon on I-55. The police agency has offered few details, but said officers arrived on the scene of two vehicles pulled over on the shoulder of the interstate. Officers say they saw one person shooting at the other vehicle. That's when police shot and killed the gunman. No other information has been released. A former Illinois State University professor, dean, and department chair is in the running for the university's top job. Elizabeth Mullinix is currently the provost and executive vice president at Miami University in Ohio. She's also been a department chair and dean there. Mullinix spent 11 years at ISU as a professor of theater, eventually rising to become dean of ISU's College of Fine Arts. Mullenix will make her case for the job during a public forum today at 1.30 p.m. at the Bone Student Center. Also in the running for ISU's presidency are current interim president Andave Tarhuli and University of Nevada Reno dean Donald Easton Brooks. A fourth and final candidate is expected to be announced later this week. Improvements for roads and sidewalks is on the agenda at tonight's Bloomington City Council meeting. For the streets, the council will consider a $1.3 million general resurfacing contract with row construction. A separate contract with George Gildner would pay more than $800,000 for the city's annual sidewalk, curb, and gutter replacement program if approved. Also tonight, city administrators will continue presentations on next year's proposed budget. The council votes in April on the roughly $330 million proposal to guide the city through the next budget year that starts in May. And rural economic development is about a lot more than just corn and soybeans. That's according to Chris Merritt. He's the executive director of the Illinois Institute for Rural Affairs at Western Illinois University.
1: We are of the opinion uh, that a healthy farm economy needs a healthy rural non-farm economy. And that means investing in community quality of life.
0: One investment rural communities can make is broadband infrastructure. Merritt says there are successful examples of small towns in Illinois marketing themselves as a haven for remote workers. But doing that requires reliable and fast internet service. The Illinois Institute for Rural Affairs will host its annual economic development conference in Springfield this week. I'm Jack Polesnik.
2: The latest in national politics, inspiring podcasts, and a report from your local school board meeting last week. You can hear it all in one place with the NPR app. Download it today.
0: Go to npr.org app to listen to WGLT and NPR on your time. I'm Jen White, host of 1A. This election year, we're a space to speak up. We're also committed to the idea of becoming
3: better listeners. That's what 1A is all about, from WAMU and NPR. I'm Jen White, host of 1A, listening at 9 a.m. on WGLT, Bloomington Normal's public radio.
1: It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Steve Inskeep.
3: I'm Michelle Martin.
4: And I'm Layla Falden. Today, I'm taking you to Michigan, a key swing state that holds a presidential primary tomorrow. And right now, there is an effort for a protest vote against president and candidate Biden. We start in Dearborn. The mayor Abdullah Hamoud walks us through a shopping district on the west side of the city, where restaurants offer up everything from Detroit-style pizza to shawarma and Yemeni coffee.
5: Yeah, yeah, we have we're the food capital, <laughs> and I like to say now we're also the coffee capital. You know, coffee originated in Yemen. You don't find that anywhere else. That the ones who founded coffee are now the ones serving
4: it up. Nice. As the storefronts suggest, Dearborn is home to one of the largest Arab populations in the country, and right now the city is in deep pain because of Gaza.
5: The people who are dying, these are our family members and our friends. People who we know directly. You know, when I have a resident coming to my council meeting speaking to the fact that he lost 80 family members, that's personal for all of us, because in this city, everybody is family. That's what I mean by we're in pain. And pain in in that sense, but also pain due to betrayal. Mm. Betrayal by this president, betrayal by the administration, and betrayal by all those that are uplifting the most right-wing government in Israel's history and continually supporting this genocide.
4: It's being debated on the world stage if Israel's war on Hamas after the October 7th attack in Israel constitutes a genocide. The International Court of Justice found that it's plausible, but hasn't made a final determination on whether Israel has committed genocidal acts in Gaza. It's something the Israeli and the U.S. governments say isn't happening, but that's how many residents of Dearborn say they see it, and they want to send a message with their vote in the primary on Tuesday that President Biden could lose Michigan and therefore maybe the country when he runs for re-election.
5: You can't look to the landmark legislation that President Biden has been able to enact and think that it's not outweighed by the genocide that he is aiding, abetting, supporting, and defending. That, to me, the scales of justice won't allow it.
4: Hamoud is a committed Democrat and was a Biden supporter, until the war in Gaza. He's one of more than 40 elected Democrats in the state who plans to vote uncommitted on primary day and is encouraging other Democrats and independents to do the same. Is there anything that this president could do that would change your current position?
5: There's always time to do the right thing. But this has to happen outside of the context of, does that mean it moves the needle for where you're going to support in November? Because I refuse to believe that Palestinian lives only are important in the context of polls and outcomes of elections. Dignify us. Humanize Palestinian lives, Arab lives, and Muslim lives.
4: Mm. What do you say to people who say, specifically to Arab American voters and American Muslims, the other candidate is much worse for you, and if that person gets elected, it's going to be much tougher for your communities. Why would you even question this candidate?
5: For folks who say that, it's like... What do I tell that resident that lost 80 loved ones? What is worse? I think people fail to explain that. They can't contextualize that for us. What is worse? I don't think there is a worse.
4: Now this effort to call on voters to choose uncommitted on the ballot come Tuesday is called Listen to Michigan, and it bills itself as a multi-faith, multi-racial anti-war movement. It's being led by Arab-Americans in the state, but isn't only resonating with them. Among its supporters is Andy Levin, a former U.S. congressman, a progressive labor activist, and a self-described Biden ally. Welcome. Hello. Hi. We meet Levin outside his synagogue in Ferndale, some 16 miles away from Dearborn, where he takes me to see a banner that hangs on the front of the building.
1: Lots of Muslims who aren't Arab-American and lots of people of color and lots of young people and lots of progressives are freaking out about gaza and so this banner is something that our synagogue and and this church that you know hosts us we decided to do together so it says jews and christians praying for ceasefire now in hebrew and in
4: english thank you
1: hi hi how are you good how are you good to see you nice seeing you too
4: He takes us inside the cozy space where his synagogue meets, and we sit down to chat. You called uncommitted actually good for Biden.
1: I think it's much better for the president if people from the Arab American community, the Muslim community, the African American community, young voters, all the people who are upset, come out and vote uncommitted, and they say to Joe Biden, I'm really mad at you. I'm voting through my tears. I'm shouting at you. Please stop the carnage. To me, getting a big uncommitted vote sends him a message that otherwise he wouldn't get. And the biggest danger for the president in his reelection is not getting that message. I don't see how you win the presidency without winning Michigan.
4: Mm.
1: I don't think he can win Michigan unless he changes course.
4: If he changes course tomorrow, Does it change those voters come November? I don't think we get all of them.
1: But there's a big difference between saying, well, people are mad, but when it comes down to it in November, the choice between Biden and Trump is so stark, they will vote for Biden. There's a big difference between saying that and saying, I'm going to really end this carnage and lead the way to peace. I think many, many people who are upset will say, Wow, he's trying, and this is a good thing.
6: Hello, uh, this is Andrew, and I'm with the uh, Michigan Uncommitted Movement. Everyone, ceasefire and Gaza now.
4: Volunteers with the campaign are phone banking, knocking on doors.
6: My name's Chris. This is Ali. Hi. We're, we're with the Uncommitted Campaign. We're trying to get. Folks and this
4: weekend, they held Get uh, Out the Vote rallies, urging people to go to the polls.
2: polls. I need you to commit to packing your car. If you are driving to the polls and you have four MPP. Or seven empty seats if you drive a van. Pack your car and take people with you to vote
4: uncommitted. Biden's been balancing his approach to Israel, a U.S. ally, with the growing calls from American Democratic voters for the war to stop. According to polls, the majority are in favor of a ceasefire. Habas Alaouia, a progressive Democratic strategist and one of the organizers of Listen to Michigan, was in a recent meeting with Biden officials who came to Michigan to hear from Arab
3: Americans. I looked every one of them in the eye and I asked, have you advised President Biden to call for a ceasefire? They couldn't give me the answer, so I went to the next person down the line, have you advised President Biden to call for a ceasefire? The people around the president need to knock some sense into him, shake some sense into him, because this isn't a theoretical thing. This is a child who's out of food, and not just one, not just two, but over 13,000 killed using our taxpayer dollars.
4: What's success look like when you think about Tuesday for the Uncommitted campaign? What is the number you want to get to for that message to be sent?
3: Yeah, This anti-war movement is mobilizing and leaning into our power and saying that our relationships with one another are stronger than the other side's funding for war. Mm -hmm. The vote count will matter on Tuesday, but what matters more to me is generating pressure on Biden. Part of how we build that power will be how strong our hand is as people who are against war. So I think the more votes we have, the stronger our hand will be to play the next move. And so one of the things that we are eyeing is the last time Donald Trump won here was in 2016. He won by about 10,000 votes. And so we want to have at least that many votes. We're going to make our move on February 27th, and we're going to continue organizing after February 27th.
4: For Alawiya, being a child under bombardment is something he understands. He was 15 during the Israel-Hezbollah war in southern Lebanon in 2006.
3: I'm thinking about the moment in the war when, when our cell phone service was out, when the electricity was out, when we were counting how much food we had and, and, and trying to figure out how much longer it would last. I'm thinking about that desperation of being on the phone with my parents and consoling them and telling them it's going to be okay. When I was certain that I was going to die, I had accepted that I would be among those who are dead. That is a preventable feeling. President Biden can prevent that. For thousands more children right now, he can prevent that. This is urgent. So many of us are operating not just from a place of political expediency, we're operating from a place of life and death. And we're telling you, this is what you need to do to save lives. It's not theoretical for us. If you count us in your big tent Democratic party, then you have to listen to us when we're telling you that this is not theoretical for us. This is life or death.
4: A statement from the Biden campaign said the president is both working hard to earn every vote in Michigan and tirelessly to create a just, lasting peace in the Middle East. The U.S. is trying to broker a hostage exchange deal that would get a six-week pause in the fighting. But many people in Dearborn and the larger Detroit metro area say they're looking at actions of the administration, including the continued military aid to Israel and the fact that the U.S. has vetoed U.N. resolutions calling for a ceasefire three times. Killing innocent people is not the answer to anything ever.
2: Unless he calls for a ceasefire, I don't think that anyone would vote for him.
4: The only thing Biden would have going for him is he dangles loan forgiveness in our faces and thinks that that will persuade our decision into voting for him. But I don't think that's enough.
2: I am going to not vote uh, at the top of the ticket.
4: And why are you leaving? Palestine. Oh.
2: Period. That's it.
4: That's Anam Khan, Huma Shazad, and Brian McCluskey. They all spoke to us in Dearborn. All three vote Democrat. All three say they are voting uncommitted for the Democratic presidential candidate come Tuesday. And the mayor of this city, Abdullah Hamoud, is now at the center of the most pressing geopolitical battle of this moment.
5: I ran on the prospect of making sure your garbage is picked up on time. Uh, I never imagined myself in a room with senior officials leading conversations on foreign policy. But when that foreign policy directly impacts your constituents, I think it's irresponsible if you walk away.
4: In Michigan, there are an estimated 200,000 registered Muslim voters and some 300,000 people who claim Middle Eastern and North African ancestry.
5: We're not sizable enough to make a candidate win, but we're sizable enough to make a candidate lose.
4: Tuesday's primary will be a litmus test that may tell Biden if he has a Michigan problem. This piece was produced by Ziad Butch and edited by Rina Advani. This is NPR News.
5: I'm Scott Tong. We talk with historian and community leader Katharina Ogentoye about her efforts to support the Afro-German community. And she calls attention to the history of black Germans persecuted by the Nazis, though their stories have largely been missing in German culture. That's next time on Here and Now.
0: Next time for Here and Now is today at noon on 891 WGLT and WGLT.org. When you take the on-ramp to WGLT's Highway 309, you're on the expressway to music discovery. Our eclectic music format features great music in many genres, from Rhiannon Giddens
2: like you and I,
0: to Idols know, to artists living right here in central I'm Illinois. All, You'll I discover really like, new music on Highway 309. Merge on right now at WGLT.org and weekends on 89.1 FM. Support
6: for WGLT comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting's Community Service Grant and from a grant from the Illinois Arts Council Agency. These grants help fund Morning Edition, All Things Considered, and other programming on which you depend for news, information, and entertainment. Additional support comes from WGLT users. This is 891 WGLT and WGLT.org.
3: At WGLT, you hear ISU students on the air each day. The
2: broods of cicadas will emerge from
0: the ground at about the same time for the first time since 18... From the WGLT newsroom, I'm Jack Pelesnik. to normal participants, we all 13 to 18 years These are t- just a few of the
3: WGLT interns we're preparing to go out into the world. Support WGLT and the future of journalism by helping to fund our student internship program. Donate at WGLT.org.
6: From the campus of Illinois State University.
3: This is 891
6: WGLT Normal.
3: Part of the NPR Network.
0: Support for NPR comes from this station. And from Charles Schwab, committed to putting clients first, with financial consultants ready to serve clients and 24-7 live help. Learn more at schwab.com. From Procter & Gamble, maker of Metamucil, a fiber supplement containing psyllium, a plant-based fiber for trapping and removing waste in the digestive system, designed to be taken every day. More at metamucil.com. From the law firm Cooley LLP, with offices in the U.S., Europe, and Asia, Cooley advises entrepreneurs, investors, financial institutions, and established companies around the world where innovation meets the law. And from the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, helping NPR advance journalistic excellence in the digital age.
3: It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Michelle Martin. And I'm Steve Inskeep.
1: Good morning. Today the Supreme Court hears a case that could help define the future of the Internet. Legal experts say this is one of the most important First Amendment cases in a generation. The question is whether states like Florida and Texas can force big social media platforms to carry content they find objectionable or hateful. NPR's Kerry Johnson reports.
2: After the Capitol riot in early 2021, some big social media sites booted former President Donald Trump from their platforms, fearing his posts could provoke more unrest. Republicans in two states took action.
6: Freedom of speech is under attack in Texas.
2: That's Texas Governor Greg Abbott.
6: There is a dangerous movement by some social media companies to silence conservative ideas and values. This is wrong and we will not allow it in Texas.
2: Abbott signed a law that prevents social media companies from banning users based on their political viewpoints. The Texas law paves the way for people who are restricted to sue to get back onto those sites. A separate law in Florida prevents the social media platforms from rapidly changing their terms of service and requires them to provide an individual explanation to users about why their posts have been edited or removed. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis aired his concerns.
6: If they engage in wrong think or they go to the wrong political event, then all of a sudden they can act in concert and just take, take you off. You need to have protection against that.
2: The laws in Florida and Texas apply to the biggest sites, companies that include Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Matt Shears is president of the Computer and Communications Industry Association, a big trade group for those sites that sued over the state laws.
4: There is nothing more Orwellian than the government trying to dictate what viewpoints are distributed in the name of free expression. That's what's at issue in this case.
2: Longstanding Supreme Court precedent says state and federal governments cannot force people or businesses to speak, he says. Shear says the laws in Florida and Texas violate that principle, and they interfere with how the sites operate.
4: It is necessary to have guidelines, terms of use, to ensure that a community isn't polluted. And that's everything from posting dog pictures in the cat forum to barbecue in the vegan forum to far more serious things like trying to groom children in a children's site.
2: In court papers, lawyers for Texas and Florida say the social media platforms are discriminating against conservative and religious views. John Whitehead runs the Rutherford Institute, a conservative-leaning nonprofit group. Whitehead says the big social media sites have become the center of people's lives and they should not be engaging in any censorship.
3: It's out there to make people think. In other words, you can disagree. If someone puts something foolish on, let's say, Facebook, People should respond immediately and start a debate. Debating is the key, not eliminating.
2: Other allies of Texas and Florida argue the sites are merely hosting content, not making editorial judgments that deserve lots of First Amendment protection. Carl Zabo is general counsel of NetChoice, another big trade group for social media platforms that's involved in these lawsuits.
6: These cases are going to define the future of the Internet.
2: At stake, he says, is who controls what people hear, say, and read online.
6: Everyone, left, right, or center, should oppose government control of speech. Because as much as it may be your person in the White House today, we know that that will not be forever. And that's why the First Amendment is so important and so paramount.
2: The justices will have to decide between radically different conceptions of what social media is. Are these platforms more like old-time phone companies, basically open to everyone without filtering, or more like bookstores or newspapers, places that edit and curate information, that get the highest level of First Amendment protection, and that could shape the future of social media? Again, Carl Zabo.
6: There is a U.S. Supreme Court decision called Miami Herald v. Tornillo, where the state of Florida tried to force the Miami Herald to carry op-eds they didn't want to carry. And a nearly unanimous Supreme Court said, sorry, Florida, you can't force the Miami Herald to carry an op-ed they don't want to carry.
2: He says that analysis from 1974 is just like today, when Florida is trying to make the platforms print every single letter to the editor. Users don't want that, he says, and neither do advertisers. The two trade associations, NetChoice and CCIA, are backed by groups across the political spectrum, from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and Americans for Prosperity, which is linked to the Koch brothers, to the American Civil Liberties Union. A bipartisan group of national security experts weighed in, too. Rupa Bhattacharya is a former Justice Department lawyer who now works at Georgetown University Law Center. Social media content moderation plays a really important role in keeping some of the worst of the hate and the violence off of the Internet. She says homegrown extremists like the Proud Boys and foreign groups like the Islamic State have deployed social media to attract converts and broadcast violence the Christchurch shooter in New Zealand live streamed his activities in an effort to inspire others to follow his example. And that has real world consequences. She says social media platforms should face common sense regulations, including consumer protection and anti-fraud laws. And she says the current content moderation policies of some of the big sites have flaws. But Potacharia adds, They're not perfect, and they don't always do the best job, but they are better than nothing. And she says nothing, no content moderation at all, is what will happen if the Supreme Court upholds the sweeping laws in Texas and Florida. Volunteer moderators of a Reddit site devoted to law in the Supreme Court filed their own brief in the case to deliver a very particular message. The court papers cited hateful speech and threats against the justices. Moderators say they delete those things now, but under the state laws, they might face lawsuits for removing trolls who drown out their chats with vulgar or racist posts. The state laws aren't not about protecting speech, the moderators say. Instead, they're commandeering someone else's microphone to spread a message. Carrie Johnson, NPR News, Washington. After eight years under a far right party that weakened its democracy, Poland now has a new government that is trying to rebuild that democracy. The
5: damage the previous government inflicted on our legal system is a catastrophe.
6: This is not a task that will take months or a year. It's going to take an entire term of office
2: to undo. Hear that story on All Things Considered from NPR News. Listen today at 3 on 891 WGLT and WGLT.org.
1: We all bought a lot of stuff during the pandemic, but now some or most
0: of it is just sitting there gathering dust. Buyer's remorse. Pandemic style. Next time on Marketplace. Listen to Marketplace beginning at 530 this afternoon on WGLT. Sponsored by Cefq.
6: Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Dave Mattingly. Negotiations are continuing to reach a temporary ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. The framework includes an exchange of Israeli hostages held by Hamas and Palestinians detained by Israel. NPR's Daniel Estrin in Tel Aviv says an Egyptian official close to the talks outlined
1: what's ahead. The next stage of the negotiations are going to be held in Qatar. Uh, Israeli, Egyptian, and US intelligence officials will be meeting, and they're working off of a basic framework here, which would be a six-week ceasefire, and uh, the release of some Israeli hostages, uh, exchanging them for some Palestinian prisoners. So the Israeli media are now reporting that what they're going to be working out are some of the details, like the number of Palestinian prisoners they're willing to release. President Biden is
6: due to meet at the White House this week with congressional leaders to talk about getting more U.S. military aid to Ukraine. House Republicans have not followed the Senate in approving additional money to Kyiv. Ukraine's defense minister, Rustem Yumarov says his forces need more weapons and ammunition delivered on time.
0: Basically, whatever committed that doesn't come on time will lose people, will lose territories.
6: Yumarov was speaking in Kyiv Saturday marked two years since Russia invaded Ukraine. This is NPR News.